Okay, excellent. Um, John Westover, welcome to today's podcast. How are you today? I'm doing awesome. Great to uh, great to have you on again. I know you and I have had discussions uh, in the past. I think the one that comes to mind is what is doctrine that we talked about. Today I thought uh, that going back and forth with you and you and I sharing some ideas that we would discuss how we as members of the church, when we encounter somebody who is struggling with a trial of faith, how we can be supportive of them and how we can be of help to them in in essentially acting as Christ and reaching out in a way Christ would to to soothe that person and to help them not feel alone and to be a comfort to them. And so we'd like to share a lot of ideas today. But I thought I'd start us off maybe sharing kind of as a backdrop. There was an Enzyme article which was in the July 2012 uh, Enzyme. And the name of the, the article was When He Stopped Believing. And this was about a wife whose husband stopped believing in the church. And in the article, she talks a lot about her feelings of frustration and being upset, being angry. But in the end, what she chose to do was to focus on acting as Christ would act. And I, and I don't mean that as kind of an off-the-cuff, easy thing to do. It's a really difficult thing to do. Uh, at times, especially when someone that we love seems to be making choices that are different than than we think they should be making. But this spouse decided, number one, to focus on um, Christ-like attributes. Number two, to focus on what things she could change about herself and to to do those things that she thought she could do to bring more harmony within their home and within their marriage. And, and while she concludes the article saying that, you know, nothing's really changed with the husband's belief, that the two of them have found ways to make it work and to have a marriage that is, is, uh, productive and one in which both spouses feel their needs are being met. Uh, and so maybe just using that as a backdrop, we'll certainly post this as a link on this, uh, this episode, but want anybody listening to, to check that out. And to read that maybe just kind of as an overarching theme as we kind of go into some discussion points. The uh, the point we wanted to start off with is a discussion from Elder Uchtdorf in, in how he communicates what is at the heart of deciding uh, what is truth and searching for truth and, and what is okay and what isn't okay as we go throughout that search. And so we'll... We'll go to a quote now from Elder Uchtdorf, and then, uh, John, I want to get your thoughts on uh, on this quote uh, from Elder Uchtdorf. All right, so now I'm going to, let's see here. And now i got to find both of these. So the first one here, John, is part of the reason for poor judgment comes from the tendency of mankind to blur the line before, between belief and truth. We too often confuse belief with truth, thinking that because something makes sense or it is convenient, it must be true. Conversely, we sometimes don't believe truth or reject it because it would require us to change or admit that we were wrong. Often truth is rejected because it doesn't appear to be consistent with previous experiences. 
when the opinions of truths of others contradict our own, instead of considering the possibility that there mu- there could be information that might be helpful and augment or complement what we know, we often jump to conclusions or make assumptions that the other person is misinformed, mentally challenged, or even intentionally trying to deceive. And so that would be the quote that uh, that I would lead off with. That, that's beautiful. There is this reluctance at times to almost see this as a a dichotomy. Either I'm all right or you're all right in terms of being 100% correct about the things that you're bringing uh, into the discussion. And what Elder Uchtdorf is saying is that each of us holds things to be true, that we are their beliefs that we have, that we hold to be true, that in reality each of us has at least one thing that we hold to be true that isn't. And, and so if each of us are willing to examine 
those uh, those things that we hold, and maybe we form those because of of church culture. Maybe we form those because of something we read in one talk in one place, and and we'll get to some of those types of things here later on. But if we recognize that the person that we love and we're concerned about, that at the heart of their issue is that they have now realized that not everything fits the way it did before. And rather than to push them off and say, you have to come back to this place where where you thought before, but instead try to help them to adjust uh, their assumptions and also be willing, as, as you pointed out, John, to adjust yours. I also want to share one more quote from Elder Uchtdorf, which which talks about searching for truth. And, and then we'll move on to the next point. But I want to get your thoughts after this one as well. And so here is Elder Uchtdorf saying this. He says, Latter-day Saints are not asked to blindly accept everything they hear. We are encouraged to think and discover truth for ourselves. We are expected to ponder, to search, to evaluate, and to thereby come to a personal knowledge of truth. He then quotes the Brigham Young quote, I am afraid that this people have so much confidence in their leaders that they will not inquire for themselves of God, whether they are led by him. I am fearful they settle down in a state of blind security. Let every man and woman know by the whispering of of the Spirit of God to themselves whether their leaders are walking in the path the Lord dictates. And then Elder Uchtdorf concludes, he says, we seek for truth wherever we may find it. And then he talks about the prophet Joseph Smith saying that that's a fundamental uh, principle of our religion, that we believe that we have the right to embrace all and every item of truth without limitation or being prohibited by creeds or superstitious notions of men. And and so just maybe to get a feel from you for what you think in regards to the agency that we all have and should use to search for truth.
please. Yeah, you know, I know we're hammering this point kind of home and, and we're kind of going along in this area, but it's important to kind of set this up. There, you know, if you are a spouse or a church leader or a parent of somebody who's having a hard time, the first thing you need to, if you first thing you need to realize this person who's having a hard time is their struggle in part is coming by their having come into contact with new information and to simply brush them off and, and say, you know what, you need to stop looking at that stuff or stop paying attention to it. While that may be the right answer, it's not going to feel right to them. It's going to feel like they're being asked to avoid this new information that, that they simply want to get to the bottom of what is truth. And so, so I don't know that that is always a helpful approach, even though maybe it feels like the right approach to take in the beginning. And so my, my encouragement, and I, and I know John, you kind of think the same way, that we want people to feel that sense that, hey, you have agency and you're welcome to, to search for truth. 
And by you giving them that flexibility, you have now opened a line of communication that rather than just take the things they're reading at heart and say, this is the truth, they're now going to be willing to have conversations with you, which is where we kind of want to run from here is to kind of show other ways in which as this, as this dialogue kind of opens up, other things that you can do to be supportive of them. And so first and foremost, recognize their, their emotional heartache, their, their frustration, their struggle comes from them being in the midst of adjusting some of the things they thought were true that perhaps weren't, perhaps taking new information that they think is true and getting context for it so they can put it in its right place and maybe discover that it is not. They're, they're in this battle uh, in their mind to figure out what is truth and what isn't. In in some way, the, the right approach, at least I'm suggesting, the right approach is to allow them some flexibility to work their way through that. Uh, nobody wants to see truth in front of them and then be told they're not allowed to chase after it. Uh, it just, it just, it would some, it would cause one to feel, um, to feel like they're being treated disingenuously, if that makes sense. Okay, that's all right. All right, so do you want to take the lead on this next one? And just to give you kind of the, the update, I mean, this this title too, of course, I know you know this, but this is the, the quote from Elder Uchtdorf that essentially says everybody's allowed to be different and that our strength is in our, our, our diversity. So maybe if you can lead into it, I'll read the quote, and then you can maybe share some thoughts, and I'll kind of bounce off of you. So the quote is, but while the atonement is meant to help us all become more like Christ, it is not meant to make us all the same. Sometimes we confuse differences in personality with sin. We can even make the mistake of thinking that because someone is different from us, it must mean they are not pleasing to God. This line of thinking leads some to believe that the church wants to create every member from a single mold, that each one should feel, think, and behave like every other. 
This would contradict the genius of God, who created every man different from his brother, every son different from his father, even identical twins, are not identical in their personalities and spiritual identities. It also contradicts the intent and purpose of the Church of Jesus Christ, which acknowledges and protects the moral agency with its all far-reaching consequences. And, I'm sorry, of each and every one of God's children, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are united in our testimony of the restored gospel, in our commitment to keep God's commandments, but we are diverse in our cultural, social, and political preferences. The church thrives when we take advantage of this diversity and encourage each other to develop and use our talents to lift and strengthen our fellow disciples. And so I don't know if you want to talk first, you want me to, it's up to you. Okay. Yeah, and you know, most people that I've encountered who have had a trial of faith or have had a major faith crisis, they grew up with a Mormonism or maybe as a convert, the, the way they understood or learned the gospel was a very stringent, very strict, a very, a very much 
spelled out, this is what Mormons believe, this is what Mormons don't believe, this is what they do, this is what they don't do. Lots of do's and don'ts, lots of lines in the sand. And and so if we realize that if your your spouse or your loved one is having this kind of struggle in a faith crisis, that oftentimes it comes from the fact that they did not have a very flexible view of Mormonism to begin with. And the worst thing I think we can do is we can add additional lines in the sand. So if somebody, for instance, is reading about science and they're, and they're taking a stance on an issue, let's just use evolution as an example. If they're taking a position different than what they see as the church taking, rather than trying to force them to change their mind on that issue, it might be better to realize that it's a non-issue at all. In other words, members of the church, in, on many issues, there is no line in the sand. Oftentimes we learn the gospel, we're told about the Ten Commandments, we're told about the things that we have to do, the things we can't do. But I think in some ways, Christ is is trying to get us more to this Moroni chapter 7, where we where we judge things based on those things that bring us closer to the Spirit and in recognizing what comes from Christ and what doesn't. And in that transition from going from commandments to living a spirit of the law or deciding what those things that bring you closer to Christ, there is some conflict there. And the person coming to you with their doubts is in the midst of that conflict. They're trying to have some independence away from those those rules and those laws and those those lines that we've we've drawn sometimes in Mormonism unnecessarily, and they're trying to work to a place where they can implement truths they're discovering in, as we kind of talked about in the last segment. And I hope that what you'll realize from what Elder Uchtdorf is talking about is that Heavenly Father designed us to be diverse, that we're allowed to be different, and that rather than force your loved one to fit back the way they used to be, allow them some room to be a little different than what you think maybe a Mormon has to be. And as they see you giving them that flexibility, again, they're going to be much more opening to continuing this dialogue and being able to have conversation with you and to ask you for your opinion on things and to get a feel for what works and what doesn't work. And and I think there's where the opportunity is to to maybe share some thoughts, but never impose your framework on them. Allow them to be different. Allow them to be diverse. And recognizing that in that diversity, again within certain bounds, but within that, but allowing that diversity is really a strength in the church. It is not a weakness.
Absolutely. And um, I just I'm, – I'm trying to think of a way to kind of lead into this. Um, give me a second here, John. So kind of playing off what you just spoke about and maybe just to spend a moment – Sharing a thought, and then uh, and then I'll turn some time over to you to to share the next clip here. But oftentimes we don't recognize it because we see ourselves, we see the positions we take, and we have justifications for the way in which we believe things are in the church. But playing on Elder Uchtdorf's comment early on, where he said that some of us confuse belief with truth. And recognizing that he suggests that each of us ought to be open to adjusting our beliefs to better fit around truths as we discover them. We, I remember a comedian, Robert Kirby, he's a member of the church, he writes for the Salt Lake Tribune. And he made the comment in a group of all faithful Latter-day Saints, he looked out at the crowd and he said, Every single one of you believes something to be truth when it's actually false. And in the church, we do that at times, and we don't think, we don't, we're not aware of it. We don't, you know, obviously we would change it if we knew it. But maybe at least be open to the idea that your Mormonism is not 100% based on the absolute bare bottom doctrine of the church, and that some cultural things have made their way into your mind as being doctrine. And the reason I say this is that the more you can get, you can allow your your loved one to be different in those ways that do not matter, the better off that person is going to be as they work themselves through this faith crisis. Does that make sense, John? Yep, absolutely.
At the same time, it should be remembered that not every statement made by a church leader, past or present, necessarily constitutes doctrine. It is commonly understood in the church that a statement made by one leader on a single occasion often represents personal, though well-considered opinion, not meant to be official or binding for the whole church. The prophet Joseph Smith taught that a prophet is a prophet only when he is acting as such. So that's Elder Christofferson. Elder Anderson... Give me a second here to get to it. Elder Anderson says, A few question their faith when they find a statement made by the church, by a church leader decades ago that seems incongruent with our doctrine. There is an important principle that governs the doctrine of the church. The doctrine is taught by all 15 members of the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve. It is not hidden in an obscure paragraph of one talk. True, true principles are taught frequently and by many. Our doctrine is not difficult to find. And, and just as a side note, kind of joking, I do think our, dif- our doctrine is difficult to define. It's not difficult to find, but it is difficult to define. I can tell you what's not doctrine, but I can't always tell you what is doctrine, if that makes sense. So do you want me to play off this? you want to go first? It's up to you. Okay. Thanks, John, for sharing those. The uh, The two quotes are really important to me. They, I, I sense that there's this desire on behalf of the brethren to try and help us as a church move forward and rid ourselves of some of the cultural misconceptions that have slipped in and to set up barriers to faith that need not be there. And so while I don't want to get into specific issues that I think are or not doctrine, but at least let these two pair, you know, these two quotes kind of speak for themselves that Elder Christofferson is, is pointing out the idea that if a leader wrote something or said something in a talk at one point, that while that thought or that book or that quote might be something that that leader, you know, considered, he thought it out, it's not doctrine and it's not meant to be official or binding for the whole church. And so sometimes we'll pick a book off a shelf, an LDS book that is not a church sponsored book, but just rather written by a leader here or there. We may have bought a Deseret book even, but simply that book itself, just because it's written by a leader does not constitute that everything in it should be the gospel truth and we should abide by everything in it and that nobody has flexibility to do something outside of that. And then Elder Anderson follows that up with, what doctrine is, which is those things that all 15 men in the current time are testifying of, agreeing to, and teaching in a unified manner. And so if one leader has an opinion on science, or one leader has an opinion on a word of wisdom interpretation, or exactly what you should pay tithing on, beyond just knowing that it's 10%, 10% of what? And so as we have those discussions, unless we have all 15 men being united on an issue, we ought to at least be understanding to the idea that the person who is struggling that we love has some room to to not fit the mold of what that one leader said or that one book quoted. And to, again, to give them uh, some flexibility that beyond the bare bones doctrine of the church, they're free to be a little different outside of that. So those would be my thoughts.
Yep. And we hope that, you know, some of these thoughts that we've shared with you will give you at least some perspective of what this person you love, what they're thinking about, what's going on in their mind, why, why they're struggling. And, and so we kind of want to wrap up maybe sharing some resources that are out there. Uh, yes. Okay, we will we'll finish with that at the end just to say that belief is okay. Um, I've got a couple of thoughts I want to share at the very end, and so I'll try to tie it in there. Okay, so we wanted to kind of finish this last segment talking about some of the resources that are out there to help others. Uh, John, I'll let you talk about the Fair Mormon Support Board, but before I get to that, I want to share just some other ones that uh, that I think are helpful. There are uh, fairmormon.org is a website that is ran by an organization of faithful Latter-day Saints that seek to provide answers and context, uh, perspectives, and, and even um, faithful frameworks in which to see different kinds of issues. It's also a great place to get information uh, to, to better understand, you know, whatever issue it is that someone is struggling with to at least get the facts that put it in a faithful light. And so if there are questions that arise, I know oftentimes when someone is struggling and they come to their spouse or their parents or a church leader and they just spill all these things that they're thinking about, all of a sudden that person who wants to help them is now overwhelmed with all of these things they'd never heard before or never, never thought about or never, um, never even have come across. And so fairmormon.org is a great place to get the information, be able to ask questions and get uh, some context for those things. There's also a, uh, a support uh, board online called faceseast.org. This is a discussion board for loved ones of those who are in a trial of faith. And so it's a nice place just to have people who are going through the same things as you. I uh, I also know on Facebook there are some support groups out there. You need to be careful. There are some groups who tend to pose or look like a faithful group, but they are not. But uh, but just so just be careful as you go through some of those. But there are boards out there. I won't I won't name any of them, but there are boards out there on Facebook uh, support groups that uh, that also line up those who are trying to help those who uh, who need support while they are interacting with someone who's struggling. Uh, John, if you want to share maybe a little bit about the Fair Mormon Support Board, which is different than the fairmormon.org site.
Yep, fairmormonsupport.org. Excellent. And, you know, the idea too, I mean, obviously the end goal is to always help somebody to come back to a place where they have uh, a stronger faith than, than the place that they're at where they're struggling. But to recognize that, as John pointed out earlier, this sometimes takes maybe even years. And often when someone comes to us and lays their doubts out on the table and, and recognizing that their emotion is peaked and that at times they're voicing anger and frustration and betrayal – as you, as the person who loves them, you can also easily feel betrayed. You know, if you have a spouse who, who has made, you know, covenants, it may seem like they've betrayed you in the fact that they now have lost their testimony. But if I can just end maybe sharing a couple thoughts. One, that they didn't choose this. It's not something they just got up one day and said, I don't really want to believe the church because I want to sin. That's, that's not what they're doing. It's, it's that in their exploration, in in their study, in their search for things, they've come into things that don't fit. And they're trying to be true to themselves while at the same time feeling alone, feeling like there's nobody out there to talk to, nobody out there who can answer their questions. It's a very uh, hard place to be. And many have um, suggested that we think of a faith crisis almost in the same way of losing a close loved one to death unexpectedly. And if we think about the emotion that would go along with that, it maybe gives you a little bit of insight into how that person feels, that they that they are kind of on their own and going through kind of a mourning process as they as they wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm not sure the church is true anymore. And that's a hard thing. So when they come to you, be careful, as John pointed out earlier, not to right away jump to those um jump to the feelings you have and react in a way that seems like the right way to react but in reality isn't going to be helpful to them these people these people who are struggling these these individuals who come with doubts they need to feel loved they need to feel like they're not alone that even in the midst of them sharing this this information that they probably have been holding on to for a while without sharing with anyone that they feel like you're not going to push them away, that you're going to put your arm around them and find ways to support them and help them along, that you're going to be one who's going to help them find resources that can help them uh, reconcile some of these issues. And keep in mind, again, they didn't choose this. This isn't something that they wanted. And um, if I can maybe end with a thought from Elder Holland, because sometimes it feels natural to be critical of someone who's lost their testimony and, and to look at them and say, you know, you used to know the church was true and now you don't. And, and you, you need to find a way to get back to where you knew. And I would only add that there are some of us as members of the church that we used to know, we get to a place where we've gone through this faith struggle, we no longer know, and we have belief, and we have faith, and we have hope, but we don't have a perfect knowledge. And maybe recognizing that in this imperfect knowledge, or this this level of 
having doubt in the background but leading with faith, that belief in and of itself is a positive thing. I want to finish here with this quote from Elder Holland. And so the quote is from him as he um, as he's talking. He, he talks about the story about the 14-year-old John who comes and says he, you know, he can't know, he only believes. And, and Elder Holland essentially, you know, hugging him, he says, till his eyes pop out and saying that, uh, let's see if I can find the actual sentence here where he kind of peaks this. Um, I told him with all the fervor of my soul that belief is a precious word and even more precious act. And he need never apologize for only believing. I told him that Christ himself said, Be not afraid, only believe. And then, he says, he says at the end, he says, We believe, no, I'm sorry, da, 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 da. he talks about the articles of faith we believe. He says, And I told him how, the, how, how very proud I was of him for the honesty of his quest which I, I think is important. And then he finishes up at the very end of his quote. He says, Honestly acknowledge your questions and your concerns, but first and forever fan the flame of your faith because all things are possible to them that believe. Okay, so John, uh, if I can get maybe some, some final thoughts from you and then uh, I'll share a final thought and we'll uh, we'll sign off from this. Excellent. I just want to kind of close up thinking uh, or sharing a little bit about uh, Elder Holland's final words. When he says, honestly acknowledge your questions and your concerns, but first and forever fan the flame of your faith because all things are possible to them that believe. And then recognizing that that comes after 
in this conversation about this 14-year-old young man that this comes after him uh, giving the statement about being proud of this young man for the honesty of his quest, that if we recognize that those who are struggling are on a journey, that they are in the midst of trying to reconcile information, that Elder Holland is encouraging them to honestly acknowledge their questions <clears throat> and their concerns, and obviously to first and forever, you know, fan the flame of your faith, but to recognize that initially that may not be an easy thing to do and that one may not come right out of the gates fanning that flame of faith, but hopefully through the love and the support that uh, that you're going to give them, that others will give them, that some of these resources we talked about can offer them, that these individuals will find ways uh, to reconcile things but at the end of the day, our obligation is to love and to seek after the one if we have to leave the 99. And I hope, I hope that each of us see that our responsibility is to, as uh, Mosiah 18 talks about, mourn with those that mourn and comfort those that stand in need of comfort and to do it for just the simple reason that we love them. And when we do that, I can't promise that everything turns out well and that all things fix themselves. But I can promise that you're handling it, if you do it in that way, you're handling it the way that Christ would want you to. And, and hopefully, uh, hopefully his blessings will be apparent to you as you go through that process. Okay, so we'll click stop on that and uh, export that 